Well, if you have your Bibles and you want to open up, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 28. Um, I didn't get any hateful emails this week, so I'm, I'm guessing what we talked about last week kind of we're, we're okay with where we're at in that. Uh, I understand if there's a little discomfort in this, that particular line. Last week, of course, we talked about uh, the fact that, that Jesus, uh, in the, the Apostles' Creed, it says after he was crucified, dead, and buried, it, the text says he descended into hell. And we looked at the scriptures where that concept is pulled from, and we just talked about the fact that it is, it is not the same kind of concrete firm foundation kind of a statement that we have from the scripture. It's not included in the Gospels. It's not included in very many places at all. But the, the idea behind it and the, the concept behind it is there in the scriptures, and it's something that we just have to wrestle with and hold with a little bit of, of tension and mystery as we move forward. Um, today, we're going to talk about uh, the line that comes after that, which says that he ascended, or excuse me, not yet, the third day he rose again from the dead. And so that one is one that we know with great confidence. And so this is one that I'm excited to, to share with you and just kind of go over once again the, the scriptures that teach us this truth that Jesus, though he died on the cross and he was really dead, as we said a couple of weeks ago, the centurions who were there guarding him as he was crucified, they knew what dead looked like. And there was no question that Jesus Christ was dead on the cross and then he was buried in a tomb, as we talked about. And today we're going to talk about what happens next. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says this. <clears throat> now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said Come and see the place where he was lying. Now this is an exciting moment, right? I mean, when you read that, that statement, he is not here. As they came to the grave to take care of his body, this, this man that they loved, that they, they followed wherever he went, they listened to his teachings, they saw his acts of kindness and his mercy and his grace. As they witnessed all those things, they came to that tomb. The angel says to them, he is not here. This is great news. It's important for us just to, to soak that in. Jesus is no longer in the grave. And that makes all the difference for us. And they go in and they see the place where he was lying. And it says in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Fear and great joy. Isn't that an interesting mix of emotions? Fear and great joy. They ran to report it. It says, Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city 
and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Remember now, the, the religious leaders, they had gotten together and they said, hey, you guys remember he said and was telling his disciples that he was going to raise again on the third day. And one of them might get the wise idea to go and steal the body and claim that he had risen from the dead. So what we need to do is we need to station a guard. They went and they had to get authority. They had to get permission from Pilate. And they went to Pilate. They said, hey, listen, his his disciples said this is going to happen. We're worried that they're going to steal the body. Could you station a guard there? He says, you have a guard. Go ahead and station them. And then you can seal that tomb with my seal. And so they do all of that. Of course, that's nothing to an angel. There, There was no holding back the power of God with just a few guards in a garden. But now that this has happened, these guards are a little bit concerned and they go and they report back what's happened that morning. And it says this, it says, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. So you see what they did. They, they fabricated a narrative. They, they came up with a story to explain it away. Here the miraculous has taken place. They're witnesses to it. They know what they saw happen. They go back and they report it to the religious leaders. And because it's not in line with what they had believed, they come up with a way to explain it away. And this is still happening today. This doesn't fit what's comfortable to me. And so I'm going to come up with another explanation. Even very sincere Christian people, when they read the stories of the miraculous, they're like, well, maybe this is what happened. Like, I've heard people try to explain away the walls of Jericho by saying, well, maybe in that marching around, they they disrupted some fault line that caused an earthquake to cause all those walls to fall down. It doesn't work. It doesn't add up. It's not necessary to come up with an explanation for what God is powerful enough to do. We don't need an explanation for how Jesus came out of the tomb. He came out of the tomb. It was miraculous. And that is the testimony that we have to live with. And that is what gives us hope that what he did on the cross was sufficient. If Jesus stayed dead, if Jesus was still dead today, if his body had been stolen away, then worshiping him is pointless. He was just another man. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And because of that, we have great reason to hope because our sins have been paid for once and for all. Now listen, there's, there's a few other things I want to see here. This is, this is a, just an amazing time. This is what we rejoice for. That's why we gather on Sundays, by the way. The reason we gather and worship the Lord on Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus rose. It's the first day of the week as, as the Jewish calendar is written. And so we gather on Sundays instead of on a Sabbath, which would have been Saturday. We gather on Sunday because it's the Lord's day. It's the day when Jesus rose from the grave. So we gather and worship him. Because of that. And it's interesting, and and people have have made note of the fact that Jesus was always doing things a little backwards. The first people 
who get the message that Jesus is raised from the dead and are first commissioned to go and proclaim that to someone, in other words, to preach that to someone, are these women. Jesus was always using the the most unlikely candidates to proclaim who he was. I mean, he chose a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and and lowlifes of that day to go and follow him wherever he went. The 12 disciples were nobodies. And here, even still, he chooses Mary Magdalene, who was, who was known to have been a prostitute at some point in her life. And, and he, he chooses just the very fact that he chose women in that day and time to go and proclaim to his disciples this first proclamation of his resurrection is remarkable. It shows that Jesus is not a respecter of persons Jesus is not showing favorites to certain people. We are all his children, one and all. And he sends these women, he says, go and tell the rest of the disciples. And when they go and tell the disciples, well, you'll see what some of the reaction is. Luke records this in chapter 24. In the Gospel of Luke, again, we have different gospel accounts where they kind of take different parts to tell the story that they're telling. All of this happened and it, it, we just get different vantage points on some of the same uh, events and same material. But here it says in Luke chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, it says, Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. Isn't that interesting? When they first hear the gospel, these are the 12 disciples. And I mean, we have it written down where Jesus said, in three days, I'll come back. And here it is the third day. And the women come and they say, he did it. He's back. He's not in the grave anymore. An angel who looked like lightning just told us that he came back from the dead. Nah, I don't believe you. That just sounds crazy to me. No, no, we met Jesus on the way here. We saw Jesus himself. He spoke to us. He called me by name. I know it was Jesus. And he told us to come and tell you that he was back. I don't know. That seems really weird to me. I don't think I can believe you that that happened. Luke says this in verse 12. But Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. In the Gospel of John, it tells us that John also went with him, that John actually outran him and got to the tomb first, but Peter was the one who stooped and went in. He was like, I'm going to see this for myself. And they marveled. At this, what could this possibly mean? And there was doubt. There was fear. There were were questions that they had at this moment because here they had just executed their leader. The expectation is they're going to come looking for us next. And we see that because of what happens in John chapter 20. John records it this way, that after those things happen, it says it was evening on that day. Okay, so, so in the morning at sun, sunrise, the earth shakes, the tomb is opened up, Jesus is gone. He tells the women, go and tell my disciples, head to Galilee, I'm going to meet them there. And that evening, 
he does exactly what he says. It says in verse 19 of John chapter 20, So when it was evening on that day, the very first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Listen, the door was shut. It was locked. They were hiding out. No one was supposed to know where they were. They had the door sealed so that they were safe and nobody could get in. And then, here's Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. Probably because he knew they were terrified out of their minds. If he suddenly appeared in the room where you thought you were safely locked inside, you'd be a little bit scared. And he says, peace be with you. It says, when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He was showing them the scars on his hand where he had been pierced through. He showed them his side. It was really him. It was really the same guy who died on the cross. The same guy who was beaten and and bloodied by the Roman guard. This was Jesus himself. Not a lookalike, not an actor. It was Jesus. And all of these people saw him and they rejoiced, it says, whenever they saw the Lord. Now, not everybody was there. And it tells us a little bit later, John, if you go down a few verses to verse 24, it says, Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, which means the twin, it says, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas sat there with these these brothers of his, these people that he had spent the last three years traveling around with, listening to the teachings of Jesus, all these these women who had seen him too, all, all these people who were gathered together in that place, he hears their testimony says, I think this was some kind of group hallucination. You guys just worked yourself up into this. I know you say you saw it, but I'm not going to believe. Not until I put my own finger in those, those scars. Not until I touch it for myself. He says, I will not believe. It says, after eight days. Can you imagine those conversations? The tension with Thomas for those eight days? Everybody has seen it. They know that Jesus rose from the grave. And Thomas still says, no, I don't believe Eight days. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here, put your hand, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. 
That verse is written about you. That verse is written about me. I've not had the opportunity to see the risen Lord with my own eyes. To touch His hands and His side. But I believe. And Jesus said, blessed are they who believe even without seeing. Now listen, this has been a topic that's it's a tough pill to swallow. To say that someone died, really died, was put into a tomb with a stone rolled across the entrance, and then without anyone else's involvement, with no one there to do any kind of reviving, no CPR administered, no, no paddles, right, to shock them back to life, of the simple power of God within him, Jesus came back to life. Listen, we believe that Jesus Christ was a man with a physical body like ours, who really died on the cross and on the third day really rose again without the help of anyone else. That's what we believe about Jesus. And if you can't swallow that pill, you need to watch out. You need to be careful that you don't trick yourself into believing something that's not true. Because that is essential. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, if Jesus was not raised, we, we have a lot of problems with what we believe. It doesn't work without the resurrection. What we believe about Jesus, our hope for glory, our hope of salvation, of our sins being washed away, all of that hinges on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And there are people who have different ideas about that in our world today. And there are people who continue to, to refute the idea that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, if we're not reading the Word of God and seeing what it says for ourselves, we can all be led astray. But Paul had this to say. Even in the early church at Corinth, there were people who were like, uh, I don't know about resurrection. Right? Uh, that sounds kind of like that, that Eastern mysticism, reincarnation stuff. I don't know if we really believe that. That's not, not really what we're talking about. And Paul has to confront that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So obviously there are people who are there at the church who are telling and proclaiming to people, listen, there's no resurrection. We live well now. Christ has given us you know, a mode of living that gives us the best life possible, an abundant life here on earth that does the most good for the world. But after we die, that's it. There's no resurrection from the dead. He says, how is it that you can say that? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, we have preached to you that Christ was raised from the dead. 
Resurrection has taken place. If there is no resurrection from the dead, even Christ was not raised from the dead. And if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're liars. And we're blaspheming against God. You shouldn't listen to anything we have to say is what he's getting across here. But this is what he says. He says, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, it means that his sacrifice was not enough. It means that his death he deserved. Which means he had sin in his life, which means he couldn't take care of yours. He had to pay for his own. You see, him coming back from the dead, him being raised from the dead, is the sign, it's the symbol, that his sacrifice was perfect and spotless and holy before the Lord. Therefore, he did not deserve death. Therefore, he was brought back from the dead. And that death that he died was a payment as a pure, spotless lamb. A sacrifice for you and for me. And without that, our faith is worthless. He says, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, if you want to rewrite that part of the scripture to say, well, maybe he wasn't really dead. And, and, and so it's just that, you know, he, he didn't really die. He just was passed out and then he got up out of the grave. Then he didn't die for your sins. He didn't take the penalty that you deserved. You say, well, maybe he died, but he didn't really come back. They, they really did take his body, and they just kind of wrote all this stuff to, to try to explain it away. But he was still a good teacher, and we should listen to what he had to say. Your sins have not been paid for then, because his death was not sufficient to wash away your sins. You see, it's a, it is a pivotal truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Really dead, really alive again. And if that's not true, we should be embarrassed. If that's not true, we, he says, are of all men most to be pitied. Oh, those silly people. They believe that somebody died and rose again. Can you believe them? What he's saying is if the... If resurrection hasn't happened, this is all pointless. We are wasting our time. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Listen, the resurrection is real. The resurrection is going to happen. Those whom you love, that loved Christ and served Him, and they've, they, their bodies have worn out and they have gone on, we're going to see them again. We have that hope of glory. You'll be reunited with them in heaven. And, and we will be made alive again in Christ. It is the promise that we have. 
And we're not foolish to believe it. We are right to believe it because we have evidence that Christ was raised from the dead. And if Christ was raised, so also will we, his saints. We have hope for glory. We have hope for salvation. We have hope that one day we will get to go and be in the very presence of our Father in heaven because Christ came back from the dead. If he hadn't, we would have no hope at all. If he hadn't, we might as well just be a social group that talks about morality from time to time. But instead, we serve a risen Savior who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And because he has that authority and because he loves us so much, we have much to live for now and much to hope for in the future. Brothers and sisters, we serve a truly risen Savior. And that makes all the difference. Amen? Amen. Listen, we believe that. And it makes everything worthwhile. I come back to that Thomas situation where Thomas said this. He said, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I think there's a lot of people today who are holding out for a miracle like Thomas. They're holding out for some kind of proof to come before them. Here Thomas was in a room full of people that he knew and trusted, that he loved and respected. And he heard their testimony and said, no, that's not good enough. I need to see it myself. And I think there's a lot of people who are holding out in the same manner today. They will not believe because they don't see the evidence. They've got questions that they haven't heard the answers to and they just won't believe until they see it for themselves and they're convinced. Jesus says, Blessed are you. Blessed are those who without seeing still believe. I've been in those places before. I've wrestled with those questions and they come up every once in a while where there are doubts. There are questions that we have that are difficult to answer. You know, when when something bad happens, whenever someone that we love gets sick and we pray for healing and healing doesn't come, When someone who is on their way to do something right has their life cut short, whether they're headed to the mission field or they're just headed to serve their community, and then something happens and they're gone, we wrestle with those questions. And there are people who are saying, until I get an answer to those questions, until I see something that... that supersedes all of those questions, I will not believe. There's no promise that you will get to get the answers to those questions. There's no promise that you'll have the opportunity that Thomas had to see the risen Lord face to face. There comes a point where you have to look at the witness account. You have to look to people that you love and respect who have stepped over the line and said, no, I believe that this is real. And you have to choose faith. 
I've talked to many people in this age of reason that we live in, this age of, of scientific thought who say, no, 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 the miracles can't possibly be true. Therefore, I disregard the whole Bible. Listen, as someone who has studied science, someone who has taught science in the public schools, I understand the questions that people have. I get it. But there was a point in my life where I'd seen enough, I'd heard enough, I'd read enough to see, no, this is the realest thing there is. This is truth. I've seen it change people's lives. I've seen it influence people to do the right thing in situations where it was much easier to have done the wrong thing. I have seen how God has come through and answered prayers. While he doesn't answer all prayers the way that I want him to, I have seen him come through in ways that are only explainable by his power. And there comes a point where we all have to say, no, I'm stepping out in this. This is what I believe. Scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By God's grace, giving us the ability to exercise faith, we step out into what is true. The proclamation that somebody literally died and came back from the dead without anyone else's influence, that is a difficult statement to believe. And so we step out in faith and say, I believe. You don't have to have the answers to every question. You don't have to have a simple solution to every problem that you face. He is worth believing in. And I can tell you as someone who has walked with the Lord for, I don't remember how old I am now. Anyway, 30 years. I can tell you that he becomes more real to me year by year. I'm more convinced now of the truth of the word of God than I was the first day I heard the evolutionary theory or studied the Big Bang. Those things are fascinating to me and I, I read about them, talk about them, but I'm more convinced of the truth of the word of God than anything else. And if that word says that Jesus rose from the dead, he rose. And we are not most to be pitied for believing in that truth. Instead, we have every reason, every right, and every hope that's tied into that because we believe that Jesus rose from the, rose from the grave. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word that teaches us the truth. I thank you, Lord, that you invite us. Come, let us reason together. Lord, your word tells us that we do not have to just blindly move into it. Lord, we can exercise faith with eyes wide open. And we can look at the world around us. We can see your beauty. We can see your creativity. And we can know that there is a creator behind what we see. God, I thank you 
that we can read passages of Scripture that sometimes defy all of our logic or reason, defy all of our scientific worldview. And yet, we can know with confidence that it's true. Because we know that we serve a God who is above it all, a God who set it all in motion, is in charge of all of its laws, and a God who is able to intervene in a way that supersedes. Father, I pray that we would exercise faith in you. Jesus, thank you that you went and you died on the cross, that you were willing to be our sacrifice, to be the propitiation of our sins, to pay the price in full. And thank you for demonstrating that you were that perfect sacrifice by coming back out of the grave because the grave had no hold on you. You came out of that grave. You revealed yourself to your disciples and to others who were gathered with them. You spoke to them and taught them and showed them again who you are. And then you commissioned them to go and tell others. Jesus, I thank you that someone was willing to continue that tradition and told me Thank you that I've been able to witness people who live out that truth that you really died on the cross, that you really walked out of that grave. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have sent others into my life to show me what it means to follow you. And I ask that you would help me to live according to those same truths. Help me to boldly proclaim that Jesus, rising from the dead, proves that his payment on the cross was sufficient and that our sins are paid for and we have hope for life everlasting. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would live inside us and that we would be yielded to his promptings. You're worth all of our worship. You're worth all of our praise. You're worth all of our devotion because of what you did for us on the cross. And because you rose from the grave. Thank you, Lord. We worship you today because you're worthy of that worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen. Let me just say this one last thing. If you have those questions, you are not alone. We just read testimony that the 12 disciples, whenever they heard the testimony from the women, they were like, I don't know about that. It wasn't until they saw Jesus with their own eyes. Then Thomas, after hearing the witness of more than just these women who went to the tomb, of all these brothers of his, he still would not believe. If you have trouble believing You are not alone. And maybe you've asked those questions from people who've dismissed those questions and told you, oh, you just don't need to be asking them. That's not me. I'm willing to go there. I love having those conversations. 
If you've got questions about what we believe, please come and ask me. Let's talk about it. God says in, in, I believe it's in Isaiah chapter 1, where he says, come, let us reason together. God invites us to bring our intellect to the table. God invites us to come and talk to him. I don't have all the answers, but I like to have the conversation. So please, send me the email. Type up your thoughts and mail it to me in the mail. Come and have coffee with me. Let's talk about these things. Because when we ask the questions, I believe God meets us in that place. And we start to see things in a new way. Let's worship the Lord, our risen Savior. Amen. Let's stand and sing.